a very good evening to you. along to another Sweet and Swing here on Max Radio. My name's Howard Kane. Friday evening. A pleasure to have your company as ever. This evening? More from Flanders and Swan as we continue our little retrospective at the drop of a hat, other hats, and where else? Where we go? Who knows? A new little series of jazzing the classics. Yeah, the classics. With your some of your favourite artists. Bit of Gershwin, maybe a bit of Duke. But to get us going, you keep coming back like a song.
Geraldo and his orchestra keep coming back like a song. And who was delivering in that song? Any guesses? It was Dick James. Now, for a bonus point, if you're doing well this evening, well done if you got that one right to start off, but for a bonus point, what's the connection between Dick James and Elton John or the Beatles? Do you know? Well, he was a publisher. There's always a story behind these songs, aren't they? Difficult to sort of believe when you listen to that lovely, plummy, rich tones, Geraldo and the orchestra at their finest, those lovely tones over the top, so reminiscent of dance hall days, and you can imagine back in the 40s, 50s, rooms full of people going round in their finery. Yes, it all seems from a different era. However, his own era went on for quite some time. He didn't live to a ripe old age, but he did have quite a career after he'd finished singing. So he was actually born. He wasn't uh, Dick James at all. Very few of them were uh, going under their real names. He was actually Reginald Leon Isaac Vapnik. Now, you can maybe see why he went to Dick James. I don't know whether Reginald Vapnik would have been a fantastic name for a singer. I don't know where Dick James came from, but it certainly trips off the tongue nicely in any case, wasn't it? Born in the 1920s in the East End, his dad was a a kosher butcher and he started singing with North London dance bands in his early teens, a regular at the Cricklewood Palais by the age of 17 and went on to join Henry Hall. Not bad, eh? Made his first radio broadcast in 1940, but then, of course, joined up in 1942 Happily managed to get through the war. Let's face it, not all his compatriots did, and uh, we'll know Ken Snakehips Johnson and Al Bowley and so many others who lost their lives during the Second World War. Uh, James got through OK, continued singing after the war with the like of Geraldo, uh, we've just heard, and later on part of the Stargazers, who were very popular in the early 50s. as in the top ten melody maker vocal charts quite often as well, alongside the likes of Dickie Valentine and Frankie Holder, according to Mr Wiki. But then he went into the music publishing business as his singing career tapered off. In the late 50s, he joined Sydney Bron Music as a song plugger, but then decided and set up on his own opening Dick James Music just before I came into existence in 1961. By 1963, he was contacted by uh, some Brian Epstein, whoever he was, looking for a publisher for his second Beatles song, Please Please Me. James then called Philip Jones, producer of the TV show Thank Your Lucky Stars, played the record down the phone to him and secured the Beatles' first nationwide television appearance. It's all wonderful stuff, isn't it? They went on to establish Northern Songs Limited with Beatles' John Lennon and Paul McCartney to publish Lennon McCartney's original songs, fellow Beatles, uh, Harrison and Starr also signed to Northern Songs as songwriters, but didn't renew their contracts in the late 60s. James's company, Dick James's Music, administered Northern Songs. Of course, it didn't last, did it? 
and of course it all went a bit uh, pear-shaped, shall we say. Started out very amicably between the Beatles and James, but disintegrated by the end of the 60s, the Beatles considering James had betrayed and taken advantage of them when he sold Northern Songs in 1969 without even offering the band an opportunity to buy control of the publishing company and therefore their own rights, presumably. As you can imagine, Dick James made himself quite a wealthy man from the sale of Northern Songs, and the Beatles never again had the rights to their own work. You can make up your mind whether he's villain, profiteerer, businessman, or whatever you like. It's You just wouldn't sort of listen to that, and who would know all that skullduggery was attached to the voice and later life, if indeed skullduggery it was. Some people may just say it was business. He took an opportunity, grabbed it by both hands, made himself a wealthy man. That's the way profiteering and business works in the West. I don't know. I've never been a businessman per se, so I can't really say, I must admit. But he went on in the 60s. He handled Billy J. Kramer, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Um, and also, he was involved, along with Brian Epstein, offering Bobby Willis a singing contract, which she turned down on his future wife, Scylla Black's insistence. He later on, by the way, signed Elton John, or Reggie Dwight, and his lyricist, Bernie Taupin as untried unknowns in 1967. After his son Stephen, who'd been working with his father since 63, found Elton using their recording studios late at night without permission. There is so much attached to some of these people, their stories never cease to amaze me. Right, on with the music. Let's have a waltz. Thank you. 
And that's that. Do you have a little waltz round your living room? I take it you're all well in any case. Looking forward to the TT? Uh, or not, as the case may be. It's one of those things on the Isle of Man, which on the one hand is so closely associated with the Isle of Man, it defines the island in so many ways, doesn't it? And yet remains so controversial after all these years. You know how dangerous it is and such like. And so usually divides the island. I don't know whether it's down the middle these days, but one way or another it divides the island, doesn't it? People either love it, can't get enough of it and look forward to it all year, or can't stand the whole thing, the noise and the racing and the danger and the deaths and uh, the influx of people and all the rest of it, and so they escape. They either hide in their garden or their garden shed, or they leave the island altogether and come back when it's all over. I don't know where you are on that spectrum, but whatever happens, I hope you have a good TT, whether you're in Spain or whether you're in Sulby, whatever the case may be. Harry Leader and his orchestra, they're waltzing in the clouds, Julie Dawn taking at the vocals. This man doesn't need too much introduction. If I tell you it is Satin Doll, and it's the Duke.
Going up a tone there, ding, oh, wonderful. Duke Ellington and the band uh, in Mexico, live, as you might have gathered. Um, so it does include on this CD, includes the previously unreleased Mexican suite, well, a satin doll, of course, not part of the uh, Mexican uh, suite, which I think is all on one track here, yeah, on track four on this CD. So it is live in Mexico. What it doesn't actually give is the recording date, which is a bit uh, unusual. 
uh, later on, I would say, sort of 60s or somewhere around there, I would guess, and that's a slightly more modern band, but some of the well-known names from the Duke Ellington Orchestra there himself. So Ellington on piano, of course. Uh, Johnny Hodges on alto sax. Paul Gonzalez on a tenor. Uh, Harold Ashby on tenor as well. Harry Carney still there on baritone sax. And Cat Anderson trumpet with Cootie Williams there as well. And Mercer Ellington. So some of the great well-known names from the band there. But I think it's later on. I'm guessing that's sort of late 60s or somewhere around there. At a guess. If you know better, let me know. You probably do. Howard Kane at manxradio.com. C-A-I-N-E is the address. And always delighted to hear from you. We've had a little bit of mail of late, but a few people saying very nice things. A couple of thoughts of people who enjoyed the Coronation Special, which is very nice. Thank you very much. They said they enjoyed the little Coronation Special we did for the coronation of King Charles III a week or two back. Where we just strung some pieces together with a royal coronation-type theme and just made a little sort of story, musical story out of it. Great fun, I really rather enjoyed that, I must admit. Very nice indeed. Duke Ellington, um, I'd love to have seen him live, wouldn't you? Never did get the chance. I think the old maestro did, but uh, I never did, unfortunately. He was born the same year as my grandmother, 1899, to James Edward Ellington and Daisy Ellington. Uh, Both his parents played the piano. No wonder he became a uh, pianist. Uh, Daisy, his mum, liked parlour songs, so she was harking back to the sort of Victorian era. James preferred, his dad preferred playing operatic arias. And they all lived with uh, Daisy's parents in uh, Ida Place in uh, DC's West End. That's Washington, uh, DC. And uh, we're very proud of their race when you think there's a lot of racial division going on there, of course, uh, at that time. It's not a million miles removed now, is it, when we think about it? But we like to think better than it was, which I think it is. There's still a long way to go. Anyway, uh, they had a lot of uh, racial pride and support in their home and uh, worked to protect their children from the era's Jim Crow laws, which were pretty shocking. Uh, Ellington started out, so not surprisingly, perhaps having pianists as parents, they sent him piano lessons with the wonderfully named piano teacher, Marietta Klinkscales. <laughs> you couldn't make that up. Marietta Klinkscales, what a wonderful name for a piano teacher. And his mum, Daisy, surrounded uh, uh, her son with lots of dignified women. She wanted to make him... She wanted to teach him elegance, and he was known as being elegant and suave and lots of charisma throughout his entire life. A bit of a womaniser as well, I think, but a very smooth one. And his childhood friends noticed that his a very casual, sort of louche, offhand manner, very dapper dress, and they thought that gave him the bearing of a young nobleman, so they started calling him Duke instead of Edward. And it stuck. Uh, Duke himself, Duke Ellington, said his friend Edgar, Edgar McEntee, he reckoned, he credited with giving him his nickname. He said, I, felt, I think that Edward felt in order for me to be eligible for his constant companionship, I should have a title. So he started calling me Duke. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Couldn't make it up, could you? Tis Sweet and Swing H with you uh, through to the top of the hour. Still to come, we're digging back into uh, a little retrospective, looking into some of the work of Flanders and Swan. Can't go wrong with that, can you? And a new little mini-series, Jazzing the Classics Vintage Style. So the likes of the musical Grieg or Chopin or Tchaikovsky or Rachmaninoff, performed by the likes of Tommy Dorsey, Frank Sinatra, Glenn Miller... Or Bing Crosby. What's not to like is what I say.
something wrong with the weather Now we're no longer together It's always raining now, sweetheart Ever since you went away Sunny skies are always gray I can't believe it's true that we would ever part There's something wrong when I'm walking The friends we knew now are talking It's plain for all the world to see I know I've made a foolish blunder And without you, can you wonder It's always raining now, sweetheart. 
Absolutely terrific stuff. I love that one, I must admit. George Gershwin. George Gershwin tune and George Gershwin playing the piano. His own piece there, I must admit. Preludes for piano, number two. And Gershwin at the piano in London, June 1928. Not quite a hundred years ago, but worryingly close to it. Don't like to think about that, doesn't it? So 1928 sounds a long way ago, but not a hundred years. And yet, yeah, what's that, 93 years, something like that? Uh, no, don't think about it. Over 90 years, anyway. Close. <laughs> than you'd like to think. Terrifying. And before that, something we all reckon is probably true, I think, isn't it? It's uh, all gone wrong with the weather. There's something wrong with the weather, says Lou Stone. Sam Brown taking the vocals. And Sam Brown, of course, also, he had a really chequered career. And you might well have heard us if you're a regular to the show, and that he did again have a link with the, with the Isle of Man, that he he went from rags to riches. He was one of those men who sort of easy come, easy go, made an awful lot and lost an awful lot. And towards the end of his career, he knew that his type of singing was going out of fashion, even though he could still sing. And so he sort of went and tried various other things, so including running a club in Soho, and then from there, somehow or other, don't ask me how you go from running a club in Soho to coming to the Isle of Man to run a sweet shop, which he did, I believe on Walpole Avenue. And that didn't really work either, because he then took a job in a betting office, which was the beginning of the end somewhat, because he then got into serious trouble betting-wise and ended up in prison, serving a term for alleged embezzlement. Not a happy ending. Well, he did get out of prison again, but he didn't have a happy ending. He died on his own in re- relative poverty. Very sad. Should have stayed with the sweet shop, Sam. Or singing. I'm sure he could have done something over here at the Isle of Man. Could have gone in the guild. Lord knows. Sweet and swing. Lovely to have your company. As always, of course, um, Flanders and Swan coming up in just a moment. But before that, I think what we really need is some hot coffee. Thank you. 
hot milk, fine coffee. Though I dine with sweethearts soon, I'd much prefer just tea for two. When I'm dining with my sugar, I pretend that I like fine hot coffee. Coffee, great number that one. Billy Scott Coomber on vocals, Jack Payne and the boys in 1932. Now, Flanders and Swan, we're doing a little mini-series on Flanders and Swan at the moment since I discovered this box set, which I didn't realise I'd actually rescued up here from uh, Music Man Towers, but indeed I had at the drop of a hat, at the drop of another hat. And what's the other one? Oh, the uh, bestiary of Flanders and Swan, all their animal numbers. Uh, we're looking at the drop of a hat in this particular case and thought it'd feature some of the slightly lesser well-known ones and maybe throw in a few of the more popular ones as well. You know, the Gnu song and Mud, Mud, Glorious Mud, those sort of things. But this is one uh, I do remember, I don't remember, the old maestro, my brother and myself, used to do some Flanders and Swan numbers when we did cabaret and I can't remember if we did this one or not. It's all about a drink which is a, a bit out of fashion, I think, at the moment, namely... Madeira. That decanter and this hat gave us the idea for this little Edwardian song. She was young, she was pure, she was new, she was nice. She was fair, she was sweet, 17. He was old, he was violent, no stranger to vice. He was base, he was bad, he was mean. He had slyly enveigled her up to his flat to view his collection of stamps. And he said as he hastened to put out the cat, the wine, his cigar, and the lamps. Have some Madeira, my dear. You really have nothing to fear. I'm not trying to tempt you. That wouldn't be right. You shouldn't drink spirits at this time of night. Have some Madeira, my dear. It's a very much nicer than beer. I don't care for sherry. One cannot drink stout. And port is a wine I can well do without. It's simply a case of shackle and ass on gout. Have some Madeira, Madeira. Unaware of the wiles of the snake in the grass, of the fate of the maiden who topes, she lowered her standards by raising her glass, her courage, her eyes, and his hopes. She sipped it, she drank it, she drained it, she did. He quietly refilled it again. And he said as he secretly carved one more notch on the butt of his gold-handled cane, Ab Sambadira Bidia. I've got a small cask of it here. And once it's been opened, you know it won't keep. Do finish it up. It will help you to sleep. Ab Sambadira Bidia. It's a really an excellent year. Now, if it were gin, you'd be wrong to say yes. The evil gin does would be hard to assess. Besides, it's inclined to affect me prowess. 
through her mind what her mother had said with her anti-penultimate breath. Oh, my child, should you look on the wine when tis red, be prepared for a fate worse than death. She let go her glass with a shrill little cry. Crash tickle it fell to the floor. When he asked what in heaven, she made no reply up her mind and a dash for the law. Absom, my dear, my dear, rang out down the hall, loud and clear, a tremulous cry that was filled with despair as she paused to take breath in the cool midnight air. Absom, my dear, my dear, the words seemed to ring in her ear. Until the next morning, she woke up in bed with a smile on her lips and an ache in her head. And a beard in her ear rolled that tickled and said, Absom, my dear, my dear, ha, ha, ha. Ah, yes. Those were the days an exercise in seduction with Madeira. <laughs> oh, dear me. Uh, what a thought. Uh, Flanders and Swan, of course, uh, with uh, that number. Have some Madeira, Madeira. Uh, Michael Flanders, uh, born in uh, 1922 in London and came from a, I suppose you'd call it a, a background of theatrical I don't know, a theatrical history, I suppose. His mother was a violinist, his father was an actor, a cinema manager, and also an estate agent. Uh, the whole family, uh, very theatrical-minded. And uh, as soon as he'd uh, gone through university or whatever, he, uh, he went to Westminster School, met Donald Swan in 1940. Uh, 1940, that is, before zero, they put on a review, which was attended, apparently, by Tony Benn, would you believe? Uh, both of them, Flanders and Swan, were at Christ Church, Oxford bright souls as you can imagine but apparently there their paths rarely crossed michael flanders decided to be an actor he was a big lad too he was six foot three and a half so big in those days we've all got rather somewhat taller over the last 50 60 years so six foot three and a half in those days would have been very big and he was considered a really really good actor someone said he was the best student actor i've seen tall handsome a great mover superb voice great intelligence everything. He began his professional life in uh, You Can Never Tell and went on to perform in Auden's uh, The Ascent of uh, F6 and uh, Pirandello's Henry IV. Then the war came, of course, and uh, Mike joined the Navy. He was torpedoed and then off the back of that contracted polio. And that was it then uh, for the rest of his life. He was condemned to spend his time in a wheelchair, which is how you always see them, him in a wheelchair, Donald Swan at the piano. One of his lungs became completely useless as well, but the other, apparently, vastly improved by daily singing whilst they were recording. There you go. Singing is good for you. We'll hear a bit more about his compatriot, Donald Swan, next week. For now, let's crack on with a bit more music. Still got are jazzing the classics to come up yet. But before that, we're going to do a little bit of a sentimental interlude.
lovely melody that helps me when I say why I love you while we're dancing. A sentimental interlude with you in my arms, sweet and mellow, like a cello. Feeling in the tune, those simple little words it's saying that I love you. A sentimental interlude or two. This haunting refrain. A wordless rhapsody. Again and again. Sweet and mellow, like a cello, revealing in the tune those simple little words. Why it's made that I love you, a sentimental interlude or two. bit of a sentimental interlude, no less, with, of course, unmistakable, really, that voice, isn't it? Nat Ganella, who went on again, no stranger to the Alaman he either, where played here several times, uh, particularly over in Naxi uh, during the jazz festival back in the day. Sadly, no Alaman jazz festival. Well, I tell a lie. Mr Jerry Carter has been working very hard to bring a jazz festival of sorts back to the Isle of Man, and I think he's been making good progress, but down south this time, round Port Erin, rather than in Douglas or in Laxey, where it used to be. But uh, all power to his elbow. Let's hope uh, that continues and grows apace over the years to come, because he's been a lifelong jazz lover, Jerry, and, yeah, always a great supporter of the music and the programmes here on Manx Radio and brings great artists over to the Isle of Man as well, particularly Alan Barnes, of course, and his friends. Wonderful players. Uh, and fine player he is as well. Gets out with his saxophone very nicely indeed with his band. But yeah, uh, Nat would be the old jazz festival when the Manx Jazz Club was going back in the day, playing in Laxey. I think there's pictures online of him outside the Mines Tavern, I think, playing somewhere on a little uh, bandstand there. A bit before that, though, with that one, that's with his new Georgians, uh, probably the what, late 30s, early 40s, somewhere around there. No date on that recording. Sentimental interlude. Now, I did promise you a new little mini-series, because I found this disc when I was rummaging through, looking for something, you know, always looking for something a bit different, someone we haven't had from for a while, requests, whatever the case may be, don't forget, requests, always taken on this show. If there's anything you'd like to hear, haven't heard for a long time, an artist you'd like to hear more of, drop us a line, Howard Kane, C-A-I-N-E, at manxradio.com, and we'll try and do what we can. 
can't always guarantee it, but if we can find it and play it or something similar, we certainly will do. give you a mention. And if you've got any thoughts, we would love to hear them. And if you're not online, of course, you can put pen to paper or pen to card or whatever the case may be, postcard or lovely little cards with uh, lovely pictures on that John on the other man, our friend of the show, quite often sends to me. Whatever you fancy, I don't mind. Old fag packets, as long as it uh, gets through the post, all right. Well, I don't suppose anyone smokes now, do they? Sweet and Swing. And it's Howard, of course. Sweet and Swing, Max Radio, Broadcasting House. And that's Douglas Head, Douglas in the Isle of Man. And that postcode is IM15BW. Bravo Whiskey, if you feel that uh, way inclined. And we never say no to a whiskey on this show. Unless we're driving home, of course. I did find this one, Jazzing Up the Classics, uh, released on their Living Era a way back. The music of Grieg, Chopin, Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff, Rimsky, Korskov and more performed the likes of Tommy Dorsey, Frank Sinatra, Glenn Miller, Jimmy Dorsey, Bing Crosby and more. Sounds all right, doesn't it? That's what I thought as well. Well, let's, uh, let's try it out and see how it sounds then. What about The Blue Danube by Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra? Oh, 
bet you've not heard the blue Danube done like that before. Amazing uh, stuff. Maybe not your bag. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's something different, though, isn't it? You, you can't deny that one way or another. We always seem to bring you something a little bit different on Sweet and Swing as best we can. So, yes, the Blue Danube uh, jazzed up somewhat. The Blue Danube itself, of course, uh, was uh, composed back in 1867. Heard here in a Nat Shuklet arrangement. Jimmy Dorsey and the orchestra. Jimmy himself uh, obliges or obligatos on the clarinet there and then you have that extraordinary voice, uh, instrumental sounding as well, the instrumental coloratura as it says on the liner notes, although they also call it the instrumental coloratura warbling, which sounds a little bit sort of disrespectful I think doesn't it, of uh, Metropolitan Opera Soprano Josephine Tuminia you can't get away from the fact that she can sing, the girl, can't she? What a note. And uh, I thought she was going to go for that really high. Would it be a C or something at the end? Very wisely didn't. But some of the notes she was holding in the middle there, amazing. Albeit with that, like you say, there is, there is obviously a, a vibrato to the voice, I guess. But still, good fun. Enjoy that. We'll have more of those over the weeks to come. We've got Song of India. We've got uh, Anita's, Anitra's Dance by John Kirby. Liebestrand with Tommy Dorsey. Oh, all sorts. The Anvil Chorus with Glenn Miller. Got to look forward to that. You can look forward to next week because we'll be back at the same time, same place. Look after yourselves. I'll see you then. Cheerio. <laughs>